this is Kara Foster, Senior Minister of First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in Madisonville, Kentucky. You're listening to our sermon podcast. You can connect with us at firstchristianmadisonville.org or join us in person at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at 10.30 College Drive in beautiful Madisonville, Kentucky. I hope you'll subscribe. Thanks. Good morning. Today we're going to talk about the spiritual practice of giving. And before you panic that you have happened to come to church, when we talk about our relationship to our money and stuff, don't blame me, blame Jesus for this one. Because frankly, Jesus talks about money and stuff a lot in the Gospels. In fact, the study I'm doing downstairs during the Sunday Sunday school morning time Actually, the author of the book points out that Jesus talks about giving more than he talks about worship, prayer, scripture, and study combined. Jesus clearly thought there was a relationship between how we relate to money and our own spiritual health. And so today we're going to talk about giving. But before I get too deep into this, I want to just let you know that I don't plan to guilt or lecture anyone today. This, frankly, could be a tough financial season for you in regards to your own finances. Money or lack of money or how we spend it is often a huge stressor in people's lives. We're talking about giving. And giving is definitely about our money, but also it's more than that. And having a giving spirit goes beyond our dollars. And my hope today is that you have a chance to think about your own life, what God has entrusted into your hands, the good gifts of your life, your time, your talents, your stuff, your money, your skills, your life experiences, your life lessons along the way, and consider how you can use all of those things to give in service to Christ. Our passage is from one of the pastoral epistles. It's from 1 Timothy today. And they're called pastoral epistles. That's Timothy and Titus because those are letters that are written to specific Christian leaders. They're different than, say, Romans or Corinthians or Ephesians. These are, you're literally reading someone else's mail today. You're reading Timothy's mail. And this letter is written to Timothy to encourage him as he leads in Christian communities. And it offers a lot of advice. And today I'm going to be reading from 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 17. And I invite you to read along with me. It says, as for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life That really is life. I want to read that last part again. They are to do good, 
Be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. Reminds me of that quote, the secret to life is knowing that the best things in life aren't things. Timothy hears the reminder that we are to do good, to be rich in doing good works, generous and sharing. That's the foundation you build your life on, to take hold of the life that really is life. I love that phrase, take hold of the life that really is life. He's talking about a life worth living, isn't he? How we choose to spend our days, our time, it matters. One of my favorite poets is Mary Oliver, and in her poem, The Summer Day, she says, tell me what it is you plan to do with your one wild and precious life. Take hold of the life that really is life, it says. It's that hyphen in between the year we were born and the day we will die. What we do in the middle, what did we do with that time? Did we share? Did we give? Did we try to help somebody? Did we leave it better than we found it? Take hold of the life that really is life. Timothy hears this advice for Christians, and I think you know what he's talking about when he says that. The foundation of life. Take hold of the life that really gives life. I know you must know what that looks like, but the truth is for all of us, it's easy to get distracted by this. It's easy to be focused on things that we think are going to fulfill us. It reminds me of this William Sloan Coffin quote that he used to talk about. He used to compare life that if we aren't careful, that we can spend our whole life like the greyhounds chasing that bunny in the race. And he said, we can be so preoccupied with trying to win a race that we can't win and the bunny is fake. He also said, the trouble with the rat race is you're still a rat. <laughs> Timothy is reminding Christians to get out of the race, to measure your lives differently. Take hold of the life that really is life. You know, I still remember this conversation, a really deep conversation I had with the youth at my church years and years ago we did, um, as a youth activity event, it was called a food scavenger hunt. It's the sort of thing you can really only do in small towns, but we had different adults who were the team leaders, and they all had minivans, and all the kids were put on different teams, and they, they were given a list of food items to collect for the food pantry, and even a disclaimer of things to tell all the all the people they went door to door with. And the, the idea of the game is they had a certain amount of time that they were trying to solicit as much donations through the food bank as they could. And um, when they could go, the trick to it all is that they couldn't specifically say what items they needed. And just for fun, all the food items had points. I had given points. So maybe a can of beans was one point, a can of tuna was three points, a can of spam was 20 points, and... And then at the end of the night, all the teams counted up their points to see who was the winner of the food scavenger hunt. And the funny thing about this is that every team automatically came up with their own strategy. Um, 
one team was like, we're going to just go to our friends, friends and family. They're going to be, they're going to give to us. Friends and family won't shut the door on our faces. They'll give to us. Um, other teams said, we're going to head out to the lake and go to the big houses with the big boats at the lake. And other teams decided to stick right around the church to all the much smaller houses in the community all around the neighborhood of the church. And we did not plan on this at all. But as everybody was coming back with all their donations and they were tallying up their food points, I could hear the conversations happening. And by and large, what the kids noticed is they said, you know what? It wasn't the house with the big boat in the driveway that gave the most. It was the little single lady in the house that was falling down around her that gave more. They were humbled by noticing that often, not always, but often, it seemed to them that the people with the least to give were the most generous. And that's what I want us all to think about today. How do we have a generous spirit with whatever we have to build that foundation that truly brings life in us. First, I think we have to have gratitude. It has to start with gratitude, right? I have never known a grateful person that wasn't also giving. They seem to go hand in hand to me. Gratitude and giving they go together. Somebody who is grateful knows it's important to give. The second thing I wanted to mention is that we have to have a spirit that has perspective. And what I mean by that is a giving spirit recognizes that life is truly a gift. It's recognizing that every single day that we are giving, what we have, what God has given us is a gift. And what we choose to do with this one wild and precious life we are given. I remember a woman at my church in Tennessee named Kay. She had been a leader in our church for decades. She was a pivotal member of our church. In fact, she was one of the, uh, she was an elder in our church and uh, one of her claims to fame that she used to tell me about is that um, decades and decades earlier than my time there at the church, she had decided that um, she was tired of wearing dresses and skirts to church. And so she decided the next Sunday, by golly, I'm going to wear pants to worship on Sunday morning. And she called almost every woman in the church and said, I'm wearing pants next Sunday. Who's with me? And she started a whole fashion trend mutiny that's alive and well there in Tennessee. Um, she did so much for her church in so many different ways. But over the years, as she got older, as she faced more and more health challenges, including a cancer that took the sight in one of her eyes, she wasn't able to do and serve as she had done in the past. And one day, out of the blue, pretty much as she had become homebound in her 90s, she called me and she said, Kara, I've been thinking, God has done so much for me. I have countless blessings in my life. And I can still write pretty well. And I was wondering if I could write notes from the church. You tell me who to send them to, and I will send 
a note to them on behalf of the church. And so every Monday, she would call and she'd get a list of names of people to write notes to in the church and beyond our church. She sent countless letters over her last years. And what I realized about that is that she did what givers do. She naturally did what people who have a giving spirit do. She recognized her life in spite of the challenges, in spite of the hardships of that season of her life, she still saw it for what it was, a gift. And it made her want to give back to somebody else. And the really wonderful thing about that is that about a week after we had Kay's funeral at the church, I got a call from a woman named Ann, and she said, well, I've been thinking... Somebody needs to pick up the ball for Kay now, so I think that's me. So who needs a card from the church this week? That's what giving does. It inspires others to be more giving too. That's what a giving spirit does. The other thing that I want to say about a giving spirit is that it comes back to our trust. Giving is an act of faith that really... What, that recognizes who truly is in control. Giving is a trust that reflects our faith in a Savior who's promised to never leave us or forsake us. That God really will provide. That we don't have to fix it. That we don't have to hold tight to whatever we can. That God really does provide. It's a trust. That's what we do when we give. And at the risk of sounding like a broken record about this, I just couldn't talk about giving this morning without taking the time to tell you about how you all reminded me of this truth about giving. And to do this, I have to take us all to a place none of us want to go, but I want you to picture it for a moment. March 2020. Do you remember? March 2020. Some of us have tried to block it out as the we've tried to block it. But I just hang with me for a moment. March 2020. I remember it very clearly because we were at church on Wednesday night having logos and choir and there was some rumblings of conversations. Well, what, what, what do you think is going to happen? I don't know. And then by Sunday, I was preaching in this sanctuary to an empty room. And I remember at first, this is what I told myself, okay. Two weeks, we'll let this all blow over. Two weeks, this will be done, and it'll be in the rearview mirror. Two weeks, okay. And then I told myself, okay, no, Easter. Easter Sunday is going to be amazing. We'll be dancing in the aisles here at First Christian Church. Well, as close as we'd ever come to dancing here at First Christian <laughs> Church. Maybe a brisk walk with joy, right? We were going to be so excited to be in here on Easter Sunday. That's what I told myself. Easter's going to be amazing this year. Well, and I don't know when, but it was sometime after I had preached an Easter Sunday talking to the camera in an empty room that it suddenly was beginning to finally sink in to me that we were in this for the long haul. And one night, not sleeping, I turned to Mark and I said, we're going to be in financial trouble. 
If, if they're not here, if they're not in the room and someone handed them an offering plate, they are not going to give. Out of sight, out of mind. I still remember saying that. They're not going to give. And I thought if there had been a little red panic button on my bedside table, I would have been hitting that button. I thought, you know, um, the preschool's closed. All our wonderful, amazing happenings in the church either weren't happening or pivoting to online. I counted up. We had 18 different nonprofits. We still do. 18 different nonprofit ministries, local and global, uh, that are offering support, that are Sunday morning offering support. And I thought, these nonprofits, they depend upon gifts from churches like ours. Well, what are we going to do? I thought, I was thinking through. I thought, well, will we spend out of our savings for a while? Will we have to make cuts and not be able to make all the promises that we've made? What are we going to do? I felt the responsibility of all the staff. I was hitting that panic button. Well, you probably know the ending to this story. It never happened. Not a, not a single... Not a single financial meeting figuring out what to do. Not a single of those panic what-ifs ever came to fruition. Not one of them. And it taught me something. First, God is always bigger than our fears. Always bigger than our fears. The next time you find yourself wanting to reach for the red panic button next to your bedside table, take it from me. Remember this truth. God is bigger than our fears. As a church, I know that we have learned a lot through that experience. We tried new things. We learned to pivot and change and adapt. We even had new people tell us that they found us through being online. I got to become one step closer to Tammy Faye and Joyce Myers. <laughs> it is not, for the record, a dream come true on that. But the real truth is, the real truth is that I learned that I underestimated all of you. That your giving isn't just because somebody was handing you an offering plate, that it truly was and is an act of faith, of your own spiritual depth and practice, that you're commit to give, not because of anything, but because of a God who is endlessly generous with you, a God who knows you with no bounds and loves you still. And I thank you, church. I thank you for that reminder and that lesson over the years. So how is God calling you to become more committed to the practice of giving. Or maybe another way to say it is how is God calling you to take hold of the life that truly is life? Let's pray. Gracious and holy God, like a closed fist, we so often want to hold tight Hold tight to our worries, hold tight to our fears, hold tight to what we think we can control. And yet you call us to be a people of open hands, hands open to sharing, hands open to giving, 
hands open to showing your love and care for others. Teach us to live with our hands and hearts wide open. Amen.